Hello and welcome to Sisters Who Stan, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the stories and shows that made us and explores the questions they've left us asking. I'm Emma. And I'm Bridie. Buckle in as we prepare to celebrate the weird and wonderful world of fandom. Hello and welcome to episode five. We're officially past the halfway point for series one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, when starting a podcast, you're supposed to pre-record a few episodes in advance. This is actually the first recording we're doing right now uh, since we started. Mm-hmm. So how's it been for you, Bridie? It has been excellent. Yeah. How's it been for you? Well, I've never had to listen to my voice to this extent before. There <laughs> are a few words I'd like to permanently erase from my vocabulary. Obviously, when we were first recording, we were kind of doing so without being live. So you feel like you're just sort of throwing stuff into the ether. Mm. So starting to get real life feedback now has been amazing. Absolutely. It has been so great sharing these out into the world. Yeah. Thank you so much to everyone who sent us a positive review on Apple and connected with us on socials. It's been so great seeing your response. Yeah. It's been awesome. So today we're talking about Daenerys Targaryen, mother of dragons. Breaker of chains. (laughs) First of her name. Khaleesi. And we're asking the question. You okay, hun? (laughs) For very obvious reasons. For very obvious reasons. I mean... Daenerys, what happened, babe? (laughs) It's more of a rhetorical question, this one. We know she's not okay. Yeah. I mean, she's dead right now, but we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, and how that managed to happen. I suppose I wanted to start off by asking you what your history with Game of Thrones is, Bridie. How did you feel about the series? So I really enjoyed Game of Thrones. I was actually introduced to it when I was in my final year at uni by my friend Alice. And she showed me some episodes and then I was just totally hooked. That was quite late in 2015. So that was around when season five was coming out. I had lots of catching up to do, but I did something bad. Mm. (laughs) Um, It was like what I did when I was watching The Mandalorian and I ended up looking up what was going to happen to Baby Yoda because I was getting (laughs) very anxious about him. Mm. Um, I similarly just started to gently googling what might happen to the characters in Game of Thrones because I was getting very attached. (laughs) Yeah, I do that with series. But then presumably you you get to a place where you can't Google ahead. Yeah, exactly. But the problem was that after I'd Googled just a little bit, I kind of got my comeuppance because all the algorithms then send you things. And I went on YouTube once and there was a video like, oh my God, the Red Wedding and, you know, fuck, who killed Joffrey? And I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So I ruined some bits for myself, but I still wanted to watch every episode. I kind of actually think that it doesn't really matter if you know what's going to happen. Although the suspense is sort of ruined. It's like in Romeo and Juliet, they tell you in the first speech what's going to happen. It's just, Mm. it's about how it happens. It's the journey, not the destination. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which Um, actually sums up the whole series pretty well, but we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get onto that. Yeah. So I was introduced to it that way. And then when the latest season came out, I was kind of watching it in real time, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I haven't read the books. No, neither have I. And we should probably disclaim at that, that we'll be talking about Daenerys from a TV fan perspective. Did I tell you about my uh, run in with the King in the North? Uh, No. Well, when I was, so I was in Northern Ireland, which is where my boyfriend's from and also where lots of Game of Thrones is filmed. And we went to see the Giant's Causeway. And who should I see walking towards me? Only Kit fucking Harrington. <laughs> oh my God. And obviously he did not want me to look at him or know who he was or anything, but it was too late for that, my friend. <laughs> um, I actually I actually didn't say anything, Tim, because 
A, I couldn't think of anything quick enough. And B, we were on a really narrow path on the side of quite a steep hill. And I just, like, I didn't want to threaten him. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't want to make him feel like he was in danger from some crazy fan on a cliff edge. Yeah, exactly. But I I also wanted to warn him that the direction he was headed in was a dead end. Because a few Uh, metres behind him, there was a group of people who had kind of figured out who he was and were in pursuit. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) He wanted to be like, heads up, mate. You might want to do a U-turn. Exactly. And he was there with his partner, Rose, who plays Ygritte. So that was very exciting. What's your relationship to Game of Thrones? Uh, Well, I love the series, but I initially heard of it. I've probably already told you this, but I did actually audition for the role of Daenerys. Oh yeah, I did know that. (laughs) Mother of Dragons. Yeah, so this was in 2009. Um, I was 19 and I'd never heard of Game of Thrones. It was a casting call on the National Youth Theatre website, which I actually also wasn't a member of, uh, but one of my friends was. (laughs) Sneaky, sneaky. Yeah, so I was like, oh, that sounds fun. I'll email my headshot over. And they asked to see me, so I went in and read some lines in front of a camera. What did you have to read? (sighs) I was trying to remember for this podcast, but I have absolutely no idea. I've still got my rejection email though, which says, thanks for coming in though. I felt like a bit of a sneak because they asked me about being at National Youth Theatre and I was like, "Mm, actually, I heard about these auditions through a friend. (laughs) So you lied. Yeah, I thought they might admire my chutz par, but uh, everyone loves a chancer. Mm, that's what I was hoping, but sadly. (laughs) So yeah, I knew Game of Thrones was a thing from that. And to be honest, When it first came out, it initially looked like a lot of sex, gore and violence, which, Mm. you know, in theory, I'm not against for a show. But it all felt like it was coming from this super alpha male perspective and I wasn't initially feeling it. However, once it got into series four, more of my friends were talking about it and I thought, I'm going to give this another try. Uh, So yeah, did and loved it from there on in pretty much. Mm, I had really similar feelings in terms of coming to it later. I think it definitely collides with the female characters getting more agency. Mm, Yeah, their development. And just having more interesting storylines. Because if you just watched the first season, you'd be like, oh, excellent, lovely. Mm, Yeah, you'd think it was one for the guys, really, just going on the first season. A couple of, yeah. Mm. Like every woman is either being raped or sold or Mm -hmm. is a bargaining chip. And they just have zero agency. And even Cersei, who ends up being an incredibly powerful player. But Daenerys, I mean... Yeah. I think one of the things I'll always be grateful to the series for is I think it made loving the fantasy genre suddenly a bit more mainstream again. Yeah, before that, a lot of my friends were like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not really into the kind of make-believe dragons and stuff. But then Game of Thrones comes along and it seems to be the exception. It's a gateway drug. (laughs) It's a gateway drug, exactly. (laughs) Oh, you like Westeros, do you? Maybe you should try Middle Earth. (laughs) (laughs) So Daenerys starts off as a very disempowered character. She's basically a bargaining chip for her brother who's trying to get back on the Iron Throne. Their dad was usurped some years back for being a mad bastard. So they've got this bad rep and they haven't got that many followers. They're in a foreign land and she's just kind of sold off to Drogo. So just thinking about like her starting off place, she does have a really impressive arc. I mean, the end of the series is really tragically squished, which we'll get on to. But overall, her arc is pretty epic. Yeah, I think from the moment she emerges from the ashes as Mother of Dragons, she has some pretty badass moments from there on in. 
Mm. She was probably the character I was rooting for the most. Like for a long time, I really wanted to see her on the throne at the end. And I really believe that she was genuinely freeing people. I mean, now I can kind of probably see there was some, you know, manipulation going on there. But at the time, I really bought into it and I really thought she would rule fairly. Mm. I actually read that lots of sporty people got into Game of Thrones because you had your team you were rooting for. So whether it was the Starks, the Targaryens, the Lannisters. Oh, uh, yeah, like the houses. Mm, the houses. And the competitiveness of it was like really fun. Who did you feel most aligned to? Well, I did always have a soft spot for the Targaryens. <laughs> Are you a mad queen? Maybe I am. I mean, obviously there's a Starks. I'm totally team Stark. I think when I was watching it, I was more team Daenerys. But now in hindsight... <laughs> in hindsight, that's convenient. <laughs> well, so now I'm feeling a little more drawn towards the Starks. You know, I'm just team Bran, said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> but Danny did have some incredible moments, like racing the mm. cars. Yeah, that was great. All the riding the dragons. Freeing the Unsullied. I was re-watching those scenes in preparation for today and... That whole sequence made me feel quite uncomfortable. There was some definite mm. white saviour vibes going on that I didn't pick up on first time round. Yeah, totally. I've seen quite a lot of stuff written about her being a white saviour, which is mm. completely true. I think she uses people quite a bit. Like she's mm. not freeing enslaved people because she believes in freedom necessarily. Kind of, I'm sure, you know, on some level she does, but she's sort of freeing them so that there's this loyalty they owe her. Mm-hmm. I read an interesting article on Medium by Sadia Dokrat, which I wanted to read you a bit from. It says, Daenerys just happens to stumble upon the concept of slavery on her way to gaining armies, and in true white saviour fashion, decides it's her right to stop it. She goes on to say, a foreign white queen who wants to use the force of native armies who she knows nothing about to win a throne in a land she's never been to since she was a baby. Danny is the epitome of white liberator, barely grasping native traditions before ruling them. Mm, yeah, that's all pretty fair. I remember there was that picture of her that I saw circulated quite a bit at the time when it was when it first came out and it was the one of her in the blue. Mm, yeah, with the bird's eye shot. Mm, it's really yeah. uncomfortable to watch now. It's not cool. Do you think when they were filming it, that was their intention? Like, did they want those images to spark those feelings in us about her having this white saviour messiah complex? Maybe. I mean, I'd like to think that they were always planning to frame her attitude as like ignorant and entitled but from what I remember she's generally portrayed in a pretty favorable way Mm. so I think you could possibly make something about a white savior and how you know bad and complex that can be but as long as the people that she's supposedly saving also have a voice but in Game of Thrones they just don't Mm. like if you think about Missandei and Grey Worm they're just used as plot devices to further Daenerys' story. Yeah, and the way Missandei dies. Exactly, yeah. It's just to make Daenerys angry and justify why she goes to burn down King's Landing. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about the catalysts that get Danny to that place because I think something I really struggled with sort of watching the first last few episodes was why is she so mad? Like, wh- why has this happened? Mm. I had a thought about why she gets so mad and ignores the bells of surrender. Yeah, go on. So I think there are, I mean, there are all the things that have happened to her and all the things that have been given to us as plot devices. So like the beheading of her best friend, people betraying her, her dragons being killed, John's rejection, when she finds out about his true identity, and mm-hmm. just generally her being unwelcome in Westeros. And there's, you know, so there's been this orchestrated buildup. I kind of thought that when she sees King's Landing and she's on her dragon and, you know, they're surrendering, like, you know how when you get something you really want and it actually doesn't make everything better mm-hmm. or how hard, you know, or how hard you work worked for any less painful so I kind of interpreted it like that so she you know is having this moment where she's realizing she's going to get what she wants but that 
she'll never really be welcomed there with love. And also it doesn't fix all the dreadful things that have happened to her. Mm, Yeah, that's an interesting point. But what did you think? Why did you, you know, when she was on the back of her dragon and she's making that horrible choice? Honestly, I just didn't really recognize her. I couldn't Mm. connect the choices with the character I'd known for the whole series, even in her more dickish moments, like killing Sam's brother, for example. Oh yeah, it's horrible. I think they obviously needed to start making her more vicious in the last season because they knew what they were sort of heading towards. But Mm. really, I couldn't connect who she was in that last episode with who I'd seen before. But maybe that was just me. So now when you look back, you start to see it because you're maybe looking for it like... Oh yeah, she was she was a bit vicious in the earlier seasons. Yeah, I think she could be when she needed to be, but killing innocent people and children, maybe mm. I did miss some very obvious signs earlier on. I just still don't really know how she got to that place. Yeah, I see that. Even though she does do some dreadful things, part of me does kind of still like her as a character. Mm. Um, I really loved how she sums up her journey when she meets Jon Snow for the first time. So she says, so many men have tried to kill me. I don't remember all their names. I've been chained and betrayed, raped and defiled. Do you know what kept me standing through all those years in exile? Faith. Not in any god, not in myths and legends, in myself, in Daenerys Targaryen. The world hadn't seen a dragon in centuries until my children were born. The Dothraki hadn't crossed the sea, any sea, they did for me. I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms and I will. (laughs) I just, I love that so much. Even in my silly like nasal voice, it gives me goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) I just gave myself goosebumps. (laughs) But yeah, she's just kind of really brutally ambitious. Mm, Yeah, and I kind of admire that. I know Sansa was sort of supposed to be the hero, but I always liked Daenerys more than Sansa. There was something about Sansa I just did not like. Obviously, she's only a child in the first season, but I found Mm. it really hard to forgive her for fancying Joffrey, you know, sucking up to the Lannisters so much. And then for being a dick when Ned gave her that doll. Like, I actually really struggled to recover from that. (laughs) Yeah, there was something in me that couldn't warm to Sansa. I love Jon and Arya. But yeah, something about Sansa. I know she's sort of meant to be the badass female queen, but... So I did, I actually did end up loving Sansa. She, I just think she goes from strength to strength. And I did love Arya to begin with, but then boy, oh boy, did she take me down a boring long road when she became no one. Are you kidding? I loved that plot line. What? Oh my God, that was the most boring thing I have ever been through. <laughs> like every time she turned up and she was mopping the floor for the like 75,000th time, I was like, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that whole side story. A huge disappointment for me in the last season was not getting to see Arya kill Cersei because it was all Mm. she spoke about. It was, I'm going to kill the queen. And I was like, I believe you, bitch. Go for it. (laughs) I know. And then she doesn't. She does kill the Night King, which is super cool, but it's not the same. I wanted her to kill Cersei. And with the killing of the king, I was so convinced that as he was approaching Bran, his face was going to come off. And I was like, this is where all that training's going to come in. All those episodes have been <laughs> leading up to this. And then she doesn't use it. I mean, she does use it to kill Watts' chops. You know, the guy who plays Filch and orchestrated the Red Wedding. Mm, that's true. But you're so right. I mean, what the fuck was the point of all of that when you're just going to ball in as Arya Stark? <laughs> ridiculous and I just really feel like John should have killed the Night King yeah Um, they were like having a million stare-offs and then he just gets like stuck behind a bit of debris (laughs) yeah have you seen the clip of Kit Harrington doing the table read for the last episode yes oh I started crying re-watching that (laughs) and the doorbell went as I was watching it (laughs) yeah 
He'd be going down like, you don't understand. Kit Harrington's realised that his character, Jon Snow. I know. Can you imagine? I go down and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I've just been watching the table read for the last episode of Game of Thrones. And they'll be like, what year are you living in? <laughs> Literally. I mean, well, it's 2020. Anything goes. Him and Amelia seem to have a really cute relationship. Yeah. I have to say, I was thrilled when they had sex. <laughs> I wanted more. Yeah, I know. Well, they gave us that perfect bum for like one shot. And if they think I'll ever forget it, they're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they'd given us so much bloody tits and arse throughout the first few series. Mm -hmm. It was all naked, naked. And then it's like the one male character I really fancy. And we get this one short scene. It's a good scene though. It's a short one, but it's a goodie. Is it? I don't remember it being that great. I'll have to rewatch it. Even though over the top of them having sex, you're finding out that she's his aunt and you're still like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what's so clever about Game of Thrones is the way everybody is so complex and you end up rooting for really mad things. Mm. Like the way I ended up really liking Jamie Lannister, even though he tries to kill a child and is just constantly banging his sister. (laughs) There's a lot of weird family stuff in the fantasy sci-fi world. Yeah, it's not okay. (laughs) Yeah, like Star Wars has it as well. What is going on? I think it's meant to be subversive, but it's just gross. Mm. I did fancy Jamie Lannister though. And I'm actually happy he ended up with Cersei because I really didn't like Brienne of Tarth. Why? I liked her a lot. He's just so boring and like noble and (laughs) yeah. I see, like no vice. No vice, no dice. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we play Shaq Mary Cruz? Yes. Oh my God, I forgot about that. I actually haven't prepared one in advance for this episode. There are so many people in Game of Thrones that I fancy. Mm. I'm very excited for this. But then I also know that you have a tendency to just throw in a Voldemort or a Wormtail like, or a Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> but Game of Thrones is just full of hotties, isn't it? So many hotties. Jamie Lannister, yes. Jon Snow, yes, please. Mm. Okay, well, let's go Jamie Lannister, Jon Snow and... Do you remember much of Rob Stark? Because he was very hot. Could you Tyrion? Mm. I quite fancy Tyrion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Tyrion, Jon Snow and Jamie. Okay. I know my answer. <laughs> it's brought itself to me. Such clarity. Um, so I'm absolutely going to go on a cruise of Tyrion and hope that we have sex. And if I know Tyrion, we will. Um, Tyrion could talk any woman into bed. Absolutely. He wouldn't even have to. I'd be like, I've seen you talking for eight seasons. I'm here. (laughs) And then I would shag Jamie and marry John. Mm. And actually, do you know what? I'd end up with the most boring marriage. But I I just think he's so handsome. He is so handsome. But I don't think I'd marry Jon Snow. I don't want it. (laughs) No. (laughs) He's, yeah, he's so noble. Maybe I would get bored. He is a little bit boring. Yeah. I'd marry Tyrion, shag John, cruise with Jamie funny that neither of us want to cruise with john and then i'm saying i'd marry john it's like arguably bridey if you couldn't spend six months with him shouldn't you be marrying him exactly yeah those would be my three jamie would be lols on a cruise he'd be great he'd be great okay i'm gonna do another one joffrey oh my god the night king (laughs) and robert baratheon i mean he's all right yeah he's actually not that bad Mm. all right i'm gonna go night king joffrey uh god there's that horrible um, oh the mountain no 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 not that guy the guy who kills rickon and like john fights him in the battle of the bastards which is just the best episode ever yeah ramsey but he he's a little bit attractive yeah he's played by a very handsome actor but he is the most horrifying character i think i think he's the person i'm scared of the most in that whole world oh really okay Mm. well 
None of these scenarios that come out alive is the problem. It is possible with Ramsey. Maybe if these people were without their armies and they're just on their own. Mm, yeah. But ultimately all of them would try and kill me. Yeah, you'd be Henry VIII quite quickly with any of these guys. <laughs> Ramsey, Night King, Joffrey. Do you know, I think I'd marry Joffrey because I think I could uh, like outwit him. Mm. So I could kill Joffrey easier than I could kill Ramsey Bolton or the Night King. Mm-hmm. That's tactical. I like it. So I'd marry Joffrey and then kill him. Nice one. I just don't think that I would sleep soundly in a cabin with either the Night King or Ramsay. You'd think I'd find the Night King appealing because he's got a little bit of a vampire-esque. Mm, like a mysterious. Yeah. Probably be committing to immortality. Um, but yeah, it doesn't appeal to me with the Night King as much as it does with the Cullens. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you and immortality. That's what I want. <laughs> I feel like the Night King wouldn't actually have that much beef with me. So maybe I would go on a cruise with him and then just shag Ramsay Bolton. And that would be that. Yeah. What about you? I'd probably say the same, to be fair. It's a really tricky scenario. One that hopefully we'll never have to face. (laughs) Not anytime soon, I can't imagine. (laughs) Let's talk about the ending for Danny. I think anyone who's listening knows full well what happened, but just so we've actually said it out loud, Danny decides to burn down King's Landing despite the fact they've rang the bells of surrender. She Mm. burns the city to the ground. And then Jon Snow, who loves her, decides she must be stopped. And he kisses her and then he puts a dagger in her heart, which is how I'd like to go. (laughs) It's actually very Angel and Buffy vibes. It is, yeah. So Daenerys' downfall has been torn apart a little bit. Yeah. And one thing we wanted to acknowledge is that we're not saying making Daenerys an evil queen is anti-feminist. No, it's cool. Like, I love Cersei and she's a horrible human. I love the evil queen thing. Mm. I wanted to read a little bit from this Time article, which I think articulated how I felt about the ending for Danny quite well. It says, it may be true that power corrupts absolutely. And Game of Thrones may have always wanted to argue that even a heroic figure like Daenerys, a woman we're set up to root for for seven seasons, can be torn apart by her messiah complex. That's an interesting idea. Daenerys just needed to evolve to that character over the course of many seasons, in the same way that Sansa evolved from innocent to hardened ruler, or the Hound softened through his relationship with Arya. Instead, Daenerys turns from someone who lived her life by the ethos of justice to someone who burned unarmed men, women, and children alive in just a few short episodes. It wasn't enough. Totally. That's a great quote. And I don't think it's an understatement to say that, overall, fans were disappointed with how it ended. (sighs) I went on to Rotten Tomatoes, which is a pretty good gauger. Every season before the last had been consistently rated over 90% with the critics and 80% with the audience. But the last season got 55% ratings overall with the critics and 31% with the audience. Wow. Mm -hmm. The general consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is Game of Thrones final season shortchanges the women of Westeros, sacrificing satisfying character arcs for spectacular set pieces in its mad dash to the finish line. Richard Roper, writing for Chicago Sun-Times, described the backlash to the eighth season as so great that in his 25 years of reviewing movies and television, he doubts he's ever seen the level of fan vitriol that was directed at Game of Thrones. Wow. Yeah. There was also obviously a public petition to remake the eighth season, and that garnered 1.7 million signatures. Yeah, I think we all got a bit toxic, didn't it? Mm. Well, Sophie Turner, um, who plays Sansa, described the petition as extremely disrespectful. And she said that fans should just respect how the creative team had chosen to end it. And I've been trying to figure out how I feel about all that and how best to articulate it. I completely disagree with any viciousness or vitriol directed at the creatives. 
I think the writers are obviously very talented. Ultimately, all they're trying to do is give us a great story. But I also think they're human. And in my personal opinion, I did feel like they got the ending wrong. Like just speaking for myself, Mm. I think when so much money goes into something, you almost can't say that you got it wrong and that Mm. creatively you maybe should have made some different narrative choices. I feel like too much money's gone in and you kind of just have to go, well, the fans are wrong and we're right. Yeah, they kind of had to stick their heels in, um, which actually is kind of like what happens to Daenerys. (laughs) They went too far and they just couldn't turn back. So they burned the city to the ground. Exactly. My God, the actors are amazing. Amelia Mm. Clark, fair play for playing all of that out so brilliantly. Absolutely. I read a really great interview with Amelia Clark in The New Yorker Mm. and she talked about the ending. She says... I always knew that the show was never going to satisfy everyone. I watched and loved too many television series to ever think that that was possible. The stories are too vast, the characters too complex. The show is, in a certain way, divisive. Whose side are you on? Also, if you're pleasing everyone, then it's probably quite tepid. But to me, it seemed like the only way it could end. Mm, Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely agree that it's impossible to please everyone. I suppose also because what they're making is technically art. So really, it's all subjective. So no one could definitively argue that there's a real right or wrong in this situation. Yeah. I do feel like fans have a right to express their disappointment. As long as it's all above board, there's no need for any meanness. I think you can disagree and you can write think pieces and, you know, say all of that. But I think it becomes toxic when you begin insulting individuals. Definitely. You can say, oh, I think it should have ended like this, but you shouldn't be like, you thick bastard. Like, they also wrote loads of amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And with the characters who we feel like were shortchanged, and, I, I, you know, a lot of them were, and I definitely agree with that, it does still kind of make me think of, like, Game of Thrones does have quite a bit of a history with that. Mm. I know they set up the main, like, players, but if you think about in the very first bit with Ned Stark, it was almost like Alien or Psycho in the way that I thought he was going to be the main character, and then he's executed and it was just such a great subversion of what I was expecting Mm. I think with characters like Varys who just get killed by her dragons or like you said with Arya doing that fucking training and then not (laughs) being nobody there was just too many loose ends that needed tying up that just needed more time yeah absolutely but again I guess maybe the writers were constrained in ways that we don't know about Mm. yeah they maybe they were in terms of timeline I was watching the making of Frozen 2 the other day and they do a lot of test viewings with audience ratings and then they rewrite loads of stuff based off audience's response. And it made me wonder, probably it's a case of too many cooks and budget, I don't know, but I wonder with something like Game of Thrones, when something's that big and has such a fandom, if deciding what happens at the end could potentially be more of a democratic process where it's like, rather than two writers, let's get more of the creative team to vote between like some alternative endings. Mm. Because even with the actors, you could tell some of them weren't, I mean, like with Kit Harrington, when asked to describe in one word what he thought of the last season, he said disappointing. Oh. Yeah. And then he joked and was like, oh, let's say epic. But he did originally say disappointing. Shit. Yeah. So part of me was like, I genuinely think the two writers are fantastic. They're amazing and I rate them. But the other thing is, I think George R. R. Martin had led where it was going. Mm, That's true. And just because he hadn't finished the final book, we have a false sense of like, Like with Lord of the Rings, if people hadn't liked how it ended, there's not much discussion to be had because it's already been written. Yeah, that's true. I guess at some point we, as fans, and because of the way he was writing alongside the series, feel that we have more of a stake in it because it's kind Mm. of current and being written. But Mm. he, you know, he founded all those characters. He started it. Yeah, very true. Feels quite messy. Mm. 
That's all true. I wonder, because obviously, as I said, I haven't read the books, but the TV series did change some things. And obviously, probably changing the ending would have been way too rogue. I mean, they did it for Bridget Jones's baby. <laughs> they did, but maybe they shouldn't have. Yeah. Was the last book out when they were writing the series? So it hadn't come out, but he had told them how it was going to end. Mm. I think it, that I do think that ending could have worked. It just needed two more seasons. Yeah, you can't please everyone. I sort of just wondered if there was a question to be asked about like the process of coming to those decisions when you've got such a fandom and whether there's a world in where there's more cooks. But it is, it's an interesting question. How would you have liked it to end? Because I have ideas of how I wanted it to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a few things. For a start, I wanted a visceral death for Cersei. Like we didn't even get to see her die. We just saw a stone fall on her and Arya not being the one to kill her. I was really rooting for that. Also, I always felt like the Night King was a bigger enemy than Cersei. I know. The fact they killed him in episode three or something. And I was like, I wanted that to be the main course. I wanted Cersei as a starter. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Yeah, that should have been the whole season. Mm. And then like the next season should have been about the taking of King's Landing and who ends up on the Iron Throne. Yeah, and I really did want John to kill the Night King. They're probably my main issues. I'm not even that fussed about Daenerys turning mad. I don't love it, but I can get on board with it. I can go, mm, that's a bit rushed, but I can see how there were tiny clues and that could have happened. I can get on board with that. How about you? So I had a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me. So I wanted Daenerys to end up on the Iron Throne. And at first for it to seem really peaceful and perfect. And then it just starts to turn as the power corrupts her. Mm. And I wanted the final moment to be John on his way to kill her. Oh, so you didn't want us to actually see her die? No. Cliffhanger. Yeah, it's an old trick. <laughs> Leave them wanting more. Um, yeah, and so, and then as John is on his way to kill her, we pan across Westeros and you see all the pieces coming into place. Like there are all these new players. Obviously Sans is in the North but there's a new person in High Garden and a new person across the sea. And you just start to see the wheel kind of start up again and her as a cog in it. And you you realise that you'll never escape it. And it's almost mm-hmm. mirroring the action that's happened before the first season when they kill the Mad King. Mm. So it's kind of like all of this has happened, but deep down they're all still on the wheel and it's, they're, you know, they're propping it up and you just see all these new faces appear and you can see how it's just going to all start to happen again. Mm, yeah, that's very cool. That would have been a good ending. (laughs) I like that. I can really see that visually. It just would have been more subtle. But the way I've tried to think about the ending that we got is kind of like the ending of a relationship. So in my opinion, there's never really a good way to end a relationship. People will always feel hurt because it's ending and it'll never really be satisfying. But that doesn't mean that the whole relationship wasn't good. Like the ending of Game of Thrones was a bit of a mess. For me, it wasn't that I couldn't believe where it ended. I just couldn't believe how it got there so quickly. But Mm. I think... I forgive it because it's given me a lot of joy, like hours Mm. and hours of joy. Yeah, oh, that's so true. It didn't end how we wanted it to end, but we forgive it because of the hours of joy and entertainment. The good times. Exactly. So to round back to our initial question, Daenerys Targaryen. Mother of dragons. First of her name. Broker of chains. Is she okay? It's a resounding no from me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, So yeah, we'll probably wrap that up now. We'd love to connect with fellow fans. So please do follow us on our socials. We'll leave links to these and all the media and articles we've referenced in this episode in the show notes below. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to validate us by rating and reviewing us in the charts. It will really help us to keep this podcast going. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye for now. Bye.